Welcome to Lab Chat, everybody. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. In this era of social distancing, it's extremely important uh, that we learn to talk to ourselves. And I've done a really good job of that lately. So um, this episode, there's no guest. And I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about some of uh, the science that I've been reading just in my spare time that I find interesting. So I hope you find it interesting as well. Um, bear with me. Uh, we got a great episode today. It's going to be on uh, sarcoidosis. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Adam. Really happy to have you on today. Adam has been sitting on his couch for the past hour reading some publications in major journals about sarcoidosis. So um, here he is. Well, thanks, Adam. Really appreciate you having me on today. Uh, and I just want to say what a wonderful interviewer you are. Ah, oh, well, thanks so much. Appreciate it. So what the heck is sarcoidosis anyways? Well, uh, that's a great question. Sarcoidosis, um, it's funny, I actually just watched an episode of House uh, that they talk about this. A young man comes in um, with some nodules in his lungs, and they're not really sure what it is. Something that House always loves to throw out there is a possible diagnosis, and we always think of you know, lupus as one of those. Basically, these um, diseases that are uh, more on the rare side and kind of have an unknown etiology. And so I just wanted to dig into it today um, because there's some really fascinating things um, that I personally didn't know. Um, so sarcoidosis is generally defined as an inflammatory disease uh, that results in the formation of granulomas spreading out, uh, disseminated into the rest of the body can be found in just about every uh, tissue of the human body. This uh, chronic inflammation leads to fibrosis and scarring of the organs. 90% of the cases uh, are usually in the lungs, but like I said, they can spread to other parts of the body. And it's estimated that 1.9 million people worldwide uh, may experience sarcoidosis and 150 to 200,000 cases in the U.S., in 2015, it was estimated that 122,000 deaths uh, resulted from sarcoidosis. And it's important to note that only uh, 5 to 10 percent of um, people who have it will progress to advanced stages of sarcoidosis, where they really experience some quality of life decreases. So what we know about sarcoidosis to begin with um, is that these granulomas form, and usually we see granulomas forming uh, to wall off foreign uh, invaders from the body, and this is our immune system that actually does this. And we know that some microbes and parasites actually um, manipulate the immune system to do exactly this so that they can remain dormant um, away from immune surveillance and hide out. And some examples of this are um, classically... Uh, TB. Um, we see these uh, nodules form. Um, Toxicara canis can do this. Uh, Echinococcus, which was actually the um, diagnosis at the end of that house episode that was pretty interesting. And uh, the way he found out is he basically hit the guy in his liver um, and saw that he had a massive um, uh, 
inflammatory response to the release of these uh, cysts. So um, that was interesting. And then uh, like Trichinella spirellus is that one we think of the pork um, infection that can spread to the muscle tissue and actually calcify itself. So there's some really interesting parasites that do this. Um, what do we see when uh, we do a CT scan? You can see uh, large um, hilar lymph nodes uh, that are involved in this disease. We see, interestingly, high uh, serum calcium with normal PTH. And remember that uh, PTH is kind of the calcium uh, release stimulating hormone. So um, this is an interesting finding. And the theory behind it is that there's actually a, a release, an increase of prolactin, uh, which causes the increase of 125-dihydroxy vitamin D synthesis in the uh, kidneys. And that results in increased calcium uptake. And of course, oh, calcium is used to help wall off the granuloma. So seems uh, could could be that there's an organism that is um, kind of manipulating these systems, or just that it's a it's a classical response uh, by the immune system to get these systems going. Um, there is. Sometimes liver involvement where we can see elevated ALKFOS uh, enzymes and other LFTs can be elevated, but not significantly. Um, we see an elevation of angiotensin converting enzyme. And this one, as you recall with uh, COVID-19, uh, is also seen. Uh, it's one of the receptors. ACE2 is a receptor for the COVID virus. So we also see these uh ACE enzymes floating in circulation, um, most likely due to the destruction of the lung tissue that's actually happening during the course of sarcoidosis. And they've actually found that um, the levels of ACE in the serum uh, correlate with how severe the granuloma load is. So that's a really interesting finding. And then Something also that um, has been noted with COVID is early lymphocytopenia. And the idea is just that the lymphocytes are actually rushing to the site of infection early on. So you see a drop in peripheral uh, white blood cell counts, uh, mainly because they're all focalized in lung tissue. And so um, one of the things that we note about which um, immune cells are found in the lung tissue is that they're primarily T helper cells. Um, CD4 uh, T helper cells are found within the nodules themselves, surrounded by CD8 and um, B cells. So this is interesting, and one could theorize that you know the CD4 cells are the major um, major cause of these granuloma formations, and uh, CD4 activation is actually required for granulomas to form. We also see polyclonal uh, hypergamma globinemia. Um, people can have weird allergies to things that have been noted, like candida and PPD, the tubercula tuberculin um, antigen, and that'll come up later. We'll talk about that one. And we can also have elevated uh, CRP and SED rate um, values, and like any inflammatory disease, that's kind of to be expected. Um, 
We know that there's definitely a link uh, between sarcoidosis and the major HLA groups. Uh, they found that DQB1-3 and DRB1-3 um, are associated with Lofgren syndrome, which is acute sarcoidosis. So we definitely know that there are people with uh, genetic predispositions to sarcoidosis. So we currently don't know what causes um, sarcoidosis other than, you know, there's these genetically susceptible individuals, and for some reason they end up forming an immune response that results in the granulomas. Hopefully we're going to talk about some of that, and some of the, that's kind of where it gets really interesting. For now, let's talk about um, the cytokines that are involved, and this goes way back to your days in immunology, a lot of which I've forgotten, but it was kind of interesting to look back at some of this. Um, so at the site of granulomas, we see that uh, T regulatory cells are secreting IL-2, um, which tends to actually prevent B cells from forming an antigen-specific memory response. So again, we ask, you know, is there an organism that is modulating uh, the immune system here? That's a classic uh, energy response um, that the immune system picking up on the fact that you're there. So it makes absolute sense that something like this um, could be the result of a pathogen. And uh, if you remember that IL-2 is also potent um, in T-cell proliferation, and we said that CD4 uh, response is often the first thing that's seen and significant factor in the form of these uh, granulomas. IL-12 has been found to be elevated in uh, bronchial lavage that's collected, and um, IL-12 is very important for T helper cell differentiation, those CD4 cells, and promotes the natural killer response, which is critical to um, responding to intracellular organisms like Toxoplasma, um, Listeria, Salmonella, those guys. So IL-12 is secreted by macrophages, uh, usually. Other immune cells like neutrophils do it too, but it's um, secreted in response to an antigen stimulation. So um, potential for treatment there modulating the IL-12 response, you know, can we control these granuloma formations? Um, there was another theory that uh, tumor necrosis factor uh, can be responsible for granuloma formation in mycobacterial infections. So there was some studies done on Interocept, an antagonist of TNF, but they showed that it didn't really work that well for, for sarcoidosis for whatever reason. And one of the theories is that, you know, it's not purely um, one branch of the immune system involved. It's multiple branches. Um, so it kind of makes sense. And then it's important to note that uh, when we talk about infectious diseases, that when we see things that are familial, um, we often think genetics, but we see in sarcoidosis that uh, cases are at an increased risk of around 2.5 times if they have immediate family, like their siblings or parents that have the disease, um, even up to four times uh, in some cases. So it's often hard to differentiate between, well, is it just something that they're being passed genetically, or is it a combination of 
um, in close proximity to these people, they are sharing a particular pathogen as well. Um, so that's a question we should ask ourselves. And then some interesting things that have been found is that sarcoidosis is actually spread via organ transplants. There's been records of um, people transmitting it via uh, heart transplants, you name it. Um, people who previously had no history of sarcoidosis. Um, and then uh, in HIV uh, cases, no granulomas form until the T-cell counts rebound, further supporting the idea that T-cells are the major contributor here. Um, so it indicates that there might be some opportunist that's coming in, setting up shop, and then once the immune system kicks in, that's when the granulomas form. Uh, we also see seasonal clustering between March and July and when these cases are diagnosed. Um, sometimes that can indicate an infectious disease is at play, but it's important to note correlation doesn't equal causation here. And, you know, you could draw a number of things based on the nicer weather, um, people going outside more, you know, they're more willing to see their doctor when it's a nice day to drive to the doctor's office. So number of things there. So take it with a grain of salt. So an interesting thing that came from uh, Dr. Sadha's uh, article that's a nice summary, the etiology of sarcoidosis, does infection play a role? The main smoking gun I think that most um, researchers accept is that mycobacterium may be at play here. Um, samples often test negative for AFB um, by stain, but at least 26% of the tissues that were collected contain mycobacterial DNA or RNA, um, and up to 80% in some studies have been seen. Um, it's possible that you know mycobacteria are just uh, found in association with another pathogen or that they're just kind of there. Um, and any genetic abnormalities might also predispose a person to a secondary mycobacterial infection. Um, but definitely interesting to note, they've also theorized that since uh, the samples can be AFB negative, that maybe there's a mycobacteria that has lost its cell wall components here. And so that could be a rational possibility. Now, the one that I get most excited about, and it might be a little bit of a conspiracy uh, theory idea, but it's focused around P. acnes. And we often think of P. acnes in the microbiology lab as, oh, it's just a skin contaminant. You know, it's uh, not of clinical significance. And it's often dismissed. It doesn't get any uh, publicity. So I think it's really interesting that we're talking about P. acnes and sarcoidosis because it's so prevalent in our environment. It's on all of our skin. Um, it's everywhere. Interestingly, 78% of sarcoid samples, uh, they were able to recover P. acnes. And some might say, well, that's just due to contamination of you know, the collected sample. But you can actually find that uh, P. acnes end up um, developing an antibody response. So this is kind of a, a smoking gun that it's more involved than just a contaminant. It's actually in there. So that brings up the idea that there may be a 
trigger factor, some kind of protein that P. acnes is producing um, that causes these granulomas to form. And they've actually shown um, in Ishii's work, the link between sarcoid and P. acnes, that latently infected mice with P. acnes, um, when they introduced uh, isolated proteins from the bacteria, granulomas end up forming. They showed that it can persist latently in lung and lymph node tissue um, in a cell wall deficient form. So um, I think this is a form of immune evasion that the bacteria is doing um, that allows it to kind of persist until uh, it can. It's constantly playing this game with the immune system, right? So when is the right time to spread? And uh, it's walling itself off in these granulomas so it can evade the immune system. They found that it can invade epithelial cells and circulating macrophages, and that's one of the idea of, of how it spreads throughout the body is inside of macrophages themselves. And um, single nucleotide polymorphisms in people uh, of the NOD1 and NOD2 genes that are responsible for intracellular pattern recognition of um, peptidoglycan from bacteria were highly correlated with infection. Um, so that's something to note, and one of these uh, genetic abnormalities that might predispose someone to developing sarcoid. So really interesting idea that P. acnes may be in play here and maybe give it more credit in the microbiology world. Um, it is possible that you know a lot of these tissues that were studied um, Basically, the bacteria or infectious disease uh, had already been cleared by the immune system, so that's why it wasn't detectable. And the final idea is that this is just due to environmental exposure and um, things that we inhale in our environment, dust particles, you know, chemicals, what have you, may cause these granulomas to form over time. One of the examples of that is beryliosis or exposure to beryllium. Um, and we do see these granulomas forming in the lungs, but what we don't see is um, the disease spreading to any other tissues. And like we said before, um, in the case of sarcoid, it's probably because whatever is causing it is actually living in the macrophage or the macrophage is uh, circulating, you know, presenting an antigen to the rest of the tissues uh, that then get inflamed and form granulomas. So a lot of things to consider there. Fascinating disease, and I'm kind of just sitting here basically just as confused as I was before, but um, really interesting to note that a lot of these diseases we talk about, and same thing with uh, the recent pandemic virus, a lot of it comes down to modulation of our immune system, and a lot of the tissue damage that's done is actually from um, overactive immune response. So maybe throwing in uh, some things to dampen the immune response uh, without you know, letting infectious agents take hold in an opportunistic way um, could be really effective. Luckily, with sarcoidosis, like we mentioned earlier, it's usually not serious. It can be treated with uh, steroids and anti-inflammatories. Um, so there is hope out there. But 
just a fascinating disease and I'm going to bring more of these to you, more of these style talks that are just conversations. I have a couple of cool ones coming up. Um, So stay tuned. Hope you enjoyed that and talk to you next time. Bye-bye.